Uh, I'm going to invite you to take a seat again. It is, we're in the Gospel According to Matthew series, and I'm loving that we're back in there uh, and looking forward to these next months of learning more about what apprenticeship to Jesus looks like through one of Jesus's closest followers, Matthew, and uh, his biography of Jesus. It's really good. This morning, we're really blessed with, and, and she feels like part of the family now, but Alita uh, has been coming to Hillside. Alita Friesen has been here many, many times, and uh, she's uh, local. She lives in Langley, but she's uh, one of the teaching pastors at the Way Church in Vancouver. Um, she's written a couple books. Uh, she's just a great student of the Word. She's You're still going to Regent and taking some classes, too? Yeah, and uh, we just love having her here. She's married to Ryan, and Ryan and Alita, we got to spend some time at a pastor-spouse retreat in August up at Malibu, and phenomenal times, and I got to hang out with Ryan, and he's like an amazing guy, and he's coming, they're coming in the second service with your four kids. Isn't that great? Can we give them a huge, like, warm, enthusiastic welcome? I said them, I think. They're not here yet, but they're welcome. You guys are, Ryan, if you're watching, come on in. <laughs> Thanks you. for having me. Oh, is that me? Am I humming? Good? We're good? Okay, awesome. Well, thanks for having me back today. I do love coming here. It really is like family. Um, so I'm, let me just get a little bit set up here. Now, I want to tell you before I get started, and Derwin kind of already referenced it, but I wanted to tell you that over the last year, not just at that pastor's retreat, but um, there have been some, not bizarre, but just I have shown up to different things over the last year, and um, there were Derwin and Angel, and <laughs> they were just at these different things. And so we were in different rooms together, and um, conferences, and like he said, that retreat, and different uh, prayer meetings and gatherings. And I just wanted to tell you Hillside, that I knew Derwin and Angel primarily from the context of Hillside. I had not encountered them outside of the church. Um, but in all of these different places, there were pastors and leaders from across Canada. And everywhere in all of these different circles, all of these different places, um, everybody seemed to know Derwin and Angel. <laughs> there were always like circles around them. And they are held in such high esteem and regard across Canada. And so I just want you to know in case, I'm sure you knew it already, but you are blessed by the pastors that you have, and they are held in such high regard by many, many people across our country. So you are awesome, and I'm honored to be here. Yeah, let's... Really honored. So, okay, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to get right into it. We have a lot of ground to cover today. And uh, if you've been following along, if you've been here for the last several weeks, you'll know that uh, last week, I believe Angel taught, I know she taught because I watched it, um, on Matthew chapter 11. And uh, we learn in Matthew chapter 11 that Jesus is in a town or in a region called Galilee. That's where he's teaching. Um, and he's teaching in different cities. And at this point here where we are in Matthew chapter 12, he appears to be in Capernaum because if you rewind to chapter 11, he says, he talks to Capernaum. He says, you, Capernaum. So he hasn't moved from this city. He's still in Capernaum, and that's where he is teaching 
from. And now today in the, the text that we're, we're studying today, he's going to be talking about this or teaching, Jesus is going to be teaching around this idea of Sabbath, what it is and what it, it isn't. And it's actually a very interesting thing that I think it's super interesting, but I'm kind of a, a, a Bible nerd if there is such a thing. It's, um, he does this really interesting thing where he teaches a, a lesson. I'm calling it kind of a, a progressive lesson, if you will, where he teaches uh, in three different locations. He starts in a field, and then he keeps teaching essentially the same lesson about Sabbath in a synagogue, and then he moves and he teaches among the people. So he teaches in a field, in a synagogue, and then among the people. So here's what we're going to do today. We are going to learn a lot about Sabbath, and we're going to learn a lot about its, its origins. Um, but here's what I've been praying, um, and especially yesterday as I was really kind of just um, getting my, my mind in gear for this. I've been praying that this wouldn't just be like a knowledge dump for us you know, where we just come and learn some really fun, cool things, that we wouldn't just leave this morning feeling like we know an awful lot about God, but that at the end of our time together, we would really feel like we know Him more, not just about Him. That's, that's, that's not the goal, is that we would know Him more through our time together in the Word, that we would experience Him and His presence. So um, let's pray. Let's just pray before we, before we get started. Spirit of God, we do welcome you. And I ask that you would be so very present among us this morning, that you would not only open our eyes to understanding, but that you would open our hearts to understanding. God, would you be our teacher? Would you teach us today? I pray that this would not just be information to us, but that it would be transformative to us. We invite you here. We know you're already here. Thank you for the good work you're doing at Hillside. Keep on doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as I mentioned, this is a lot of text to cover today. We're in Matthew 12, verses 1 through 21. So we're going to read it right off the top together, okay? Let's read it. Here we go. I'm reading from the NIV. And this is what it says. It says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, to Jesus, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So that was in the field. Now he's going to go on to the synagogue. Verse 9, going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? 
Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Now, that was the field. That was a synagogue. Now we're going to see him move to keep teaching among the people. Verse 15, he says, or it says, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all. He healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Okay, like I said, that is a lot of ground to cover, but that's okay. We're going to do it. We're going to get through it today. So we see that Jesus um, really narrows in on what Sabbath is and what it isn't. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what he teaches in these three locations. But at the end of our time together, what I want to do is narrow in on what it can mean for us in our context today, okay? So let's start with these, the first eight verses where Jesus is in a field. So what happened here? So we saw that Jesus is walking along and him and his disciples, they're eating heads of grain. Now, here's what we need to understand. There, I wanted... I, I, don't know why. I looked around my house. I was like, do I have any wheat that I can bring with me? Like, I, I wanted to have a visual. I did not have any wheat, but, um, and I wasn't even sure where, quite frankly, to go get some. So I didn't bring one. Um, but imagine with me, if you will, they're walking through a, a field, right? And they just start picking off the tops of the heads and eating it. Okay. So now what we need to understand is that because they were picking or plucking the grain, this was considered work. Because plucking, according to their law, plucking was considered harvesting. And harvesting was considered a part of meal preparation. And meal preparation was considered work on the Sabbath. And work on the Sabbath was considered a breaking of the law. Do you follow that pattern? So it all goes back to the fact that they were breaking that off. The Pharisees were like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> They're all ruffled by this. And they accused Jesus and his disciples of breaking the law. Now, we have to press pause right here and take um, a bit of a, a, not a detour, I'm going to call it an interlude, because we have to understand, in order for us to understand any measure of this story today, we have got to understand, have some understanding of the law. We have to have some understanding about why in the world the Pharisees would have gotten so upset over this thing. And here's what I think often happens, because it happens to me sometimes. Uh, sometimes when I, especially because if you've been in church for any manner of time and you've, you've read the New Testament and you read about the Pharisees and how they can kind of come across to us, uh, we will oftentimes read this sort of thing and dissociate ourselves from the Pharisees. And we'll think, man, like, relax, guys. You're so uptight. Just, just loosen up. But here's what I want to suggest, is that if you and I were living then 
and attempting to be faithful stewards of the Mosaic law. Because what they're doing, what, what they were doing, what these Pharisees were doing, was remembering that there was a point in Israel's history where the people had been unfaithful, had not kept the law, and had been sent into exile. And so as a reaction to that, they're doing everything they can over and above not to break the law. They're trying the best way they know how to be faithful stewards of the law. Now, so I'm just trying to put before you that it, to some extent, I think that we would... Um, have understood at least a part of their thinking. Not trying to defend all of it, I'm just trying to suggest to you that maybe living in their context, we would have understood it a little more. So, like I said, a necessary, a brief interlude just to do um, a bit of a dive into the origins of Sabbath and the law, okay? I told you we were gonna learn some stuff today, and like, I love this kind of, I love this kind of stuff, so I hope that you will just stick with me and you'll like it too. So. We need to be able to understand, like I said, why would the Pharisees think this way, and why would Jesus take the time to correct their thinking? So hold that spot in Matthew 12 if you have it open, and turn with me. We're going to be flipping in our Bibles today. It's one of my favorite sounds. It just sounds like we're, I don't know. I just love the sound of flipping Bibles. But Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. So this is the part of Scripture where, and some of you are probably very familiar with it, where this is, uh, God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments, okay? Um, so this is Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. He's giving the Ten Commandments and the law. So this is what it says, and we have it on the screen for you as well. It says, remember the Sabbath day, this is God speaking, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. In your towns. Now verse 11, um, this is the qualifier. God is now going to tell Moses, now this is why you need to observe Sabbath here in verse 11. He says, for... In six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so just follow this with me. From this point forward, from this point where God gives Moses this law and it's now part of the Ten Commandments, it's part of the Mosaic law, sorry, it's part of the law, this becomes something that the nation of Israel now holds to. This is part of their Mosaic law, and there will be penalties for breaking the law. We're going to talk about those in a moment. But I, as I just said in verse 11, that was a qualifier. In other words, God tells Moses, listen, this is why you need, he's not just giving him a rule. He's giving him the, a commandment and saying, and this is why, why you're to observe Sabbath. Now, when God does this, God makes a reference in verse 11 there to the very first Sabbath that was ever observed. He says, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. What is, this, what is he calling Moses and the nation of Israel's mind back to? What is he calling our minds back to? He's calling us back to Genesis. He's calling us back to the very beginning, calling us back to the garden. So we're going to go there. You can flip on over if you want to. We'll have it on the screen. But Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. And this is where we see that the first Sabbath is actually initiated. I'm going to read Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3, and this is after God has, has done all of his beautiful creating. It says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. 
So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So the Genesis creation narrative here describes already this beautiful cadence that's already at work in the fabric, in the DNA of the earth, where God does this creating for six days. And if you're familiar with the story, you know that at the end of each day, he calls that day's creation good. He, he makes, he creates the world. It is good at the end of each day. And it was good. And it was good. And then something very interesting happens. Where on the seventh day, he rests. And God does not call that seventh day, that Sabbath day, good. He calls it holy. He calls it holy. Um, scholars agree, and I found this to be so cool, that it is so ex- it's so extremely significant that God calls the seventh day, the Sabbath day, holy. The Hebrew word for holy is the word kadosh, and it means to be set apart. And it is, um, I'm going to quote now a, a scholar, his name is Abraham Heschel. He was a, a Jewish scholar and theologian, and this is what he said. He said, one of the most distinguished words in the Bible is the word kadosh, set apart, holy. And what, this is the question he poses, what was the first holy object in the history of the world? What was the first thing that God called holy? Was it a mountain? Was it an altar? Was it a person? What was the first thing that God ever called holy? It's right here in the book of Genesis, right in chapter 2, at the end of the story of creation, where the first time the word holy is ever used in all of Scripture is when it's applied to time. And this is extremely significant, that God would do this, that God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy. So the very first thing that God ever calls holy in all of humanity is time. And I just, like I don't know, I was thinking about that this week. Have you ever thought of your time as being holy? Your time, like the God-breathed time that God has given you as holy. Not just busy or full or bored, but holy, like set apart, a consecratedness to the fact that God has given you time. That's just a side note, just a little thought, just a, just a drop in your heart for a second. So one of the first things God does is he sets apart this day as holy. And we, uh, the, the word Sabbath is the, word, uh, the Hebrew word Shabbat. And it is a word that means to, quite literally, it means to stop. Stop. To cease. There, there's the implication being that you've been doing something and it's time to just take a break. To cease or to desist. Now, at some point in the nation of Israel, the people either forget or don't care because they are not observing it anymore. So now that was in Genesis. We see that that um, that it's instituted. That God talks about this. There's this holy day. The people forget, and then we fast forward to the book of Exodus, where we just were, Exodus 20, and we saw that one of the first things that God does after after delivering His people out of 400 years of slavery was give them these Ten Commandments, which were meant to teach them a whole new way of living. Right, and this is where. After all this time, God um, reinstitutes Sabbath keeping. We just read it a moment ago on the seventh day, keep it holy. So here's what we need to understand. It's that when the idea of Sabbath was, was um, officially instituted in, in the law, 
for the people, for the Israelites, it would have been a complete shift, a complete shift from the Egyptian culture that they had just left behind. God not only wanted his people to have a new identity after leaving Egypt, he also wanted, and this is so important for us to understand in our context today, he also wanted the people to know that he was nothing like the kind of gods that they had seen or experienced in Egypt, including Pharaoh. He wanted his people to know when he instituted Sabbath what he was like and what he, what he wasn't like. I have this great quote for you from Walter Brueggemann. He wrote a book called Sabbath as Resistance. Um, if you are the kind of person that likes to read books, this is a great, great book. I have a few books that I'll quote today. This is one of them. I highly recommend it. But Walter Brueggemann says this. He says, this fourth commandment was meant to show the people of Israel that God is not a workaholic. Oh, I love that. God is not a workaholic. God is not a pharaoh. God does not keep jacking up production schedules. To the contrary, God rests confident, serene, at peace. God's rest bestows a restfulness that contradicts the drivenness of the system of pharaoh. Oh, I love that. The point here is that Sabbath was always, always, always meant to be a liberating thing. It was never meant to be oppressive to the people. Now, we know that Sabbath was a big deal. If you turn to Exodus 31, death was the price for willfully breaking the Sabbath. That was part of the law. Now, we do not have time to get into all the nuances of that today, but I do want to point out this, that I think that this penalty, again, helps us at least in part to understand why the Pharisees were, were so committed to keeping this. Not only, like they, they understood the implications of the law. They were trying to hold on to this. And so... Now, unfortunately, what happens over time is Moses is long gone, and man-made rules start being implemented and being added to the Sabbath. Because, and I think that you would probably understand this. People were trying to figure out what Sabbath was and what it wasn't. What, what qualifies as work? What, quali what, what doesn't qualify as work? What is rest? What isn't rest? They're trying to figure out all the nuances of this. So that then by the time that Jesus arrives on the scene, there were some 39 added rules and regulations and traditions that they had for keeping the Sabbath. You can Google it and you can, you can read them all. They're quite fascinating. But in their minds, they had essentially elevated or, or at least equated these 39 added rules to the original God-given rule. It was all the same to them. They held it all as law. So Sabbath, which was always meant to be a liberating thing, always meant to be good news for God's people, was now bound up in all of these do's and don'ts that were almost impossible to keep, almost impossible. And so then Jesus shows up in a field eating grains of wheat with his disciples. And he's breaking not the law, but he's breaking their interpretation of the law. So very quickly, let's get back into this story and just look at these three places where Jesus does this teaching about Sabbath. He starts in a field. We know that they're eating. The Pharisees are mad. They have accused Jesus and his disciples of breaking the law. And Jesus addresses this to them in a few ways, but ultimately he says to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. He says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, he doesn't just identify Sabbath with his father who is in heaven. He also identifies it with himself as if to say, listen, I was there when this whole thing started. 
I know exactly what Sabbath is and what it isn't. And more importantly, I know what it's meant to be. He was there in the garden. Do, do you, like, he knew all along what it was meant to be. And then from there, he moves his teaching into a synagogue. We can't get into all the different details of this story, but it's, um, this is just, like I said, kind of a, a, an overview so he moves into the synagogue, and there we saw that he heals a man with a, with a shriveled hand. And again, I guess a little unsurprisingly, the pharaohs are just, or the pharaohs, the Pharisees. Ooh, but that's kind of good, right? Oh, that was a happy accident. <laughs> um, but the Pharisees are again outraged by the whole thing. They're just outraged by it because somehow they equated the act of healing as an act of work. Uh, I, I was also reading some scholars think that the act of where it, where it says that the man had to stretch out his hand, the act of stretching it out would have been considered an act of work. It's, you know, a little bit wild. And so what does Jesus do here? He ultimately says to them in verse 12, he says to them, um, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. That's how he addresses why he healed the man. It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he moves from there to teach in this last section, verses 15 through 21, among the people. So he's gone from a field to a synagogue among the people. And how does he teach here? Well, it's not so much by what he says as much as it is what he does. Because a crowd has followed Jesus, and, and I, I kind of hit on it when I read it earlier in verse 15, that it says he healed all who were ill. Everybody that was following him at that time that was sick, he healed all of them. Now, that's amazing to me because there are other places in the Bible where it doesn't say that he just healed everybody, but it does here. He healed everyone who was ill. Now, remember, it was still Sabbath. So he's done this teaching, and he just keeps on doing what Jesus does. You guys, your feathers are ruffled. I'm just going to keep doing the thing. Now, the Pharisees are not around at this point. They seem to be everywhere. They're just kind of like, why were they following Jesus and his, his disciples in a field? That's kind of weird. Like, back off, guys. But at this point, they're not around him, and he's still healing. And where are they? They're off plotting to kill him. They've, they've seen the things happening, and they're like, hey, well, their minds are made up. This is, they have not heard Jesus' teaching, essentially. They're plotting to kill him. But the people who are around him are experiencing his healing firsthand. So, again, we don't have time to get into just all of the details of this. Otherwise, we would be here until, oh, this afternoon at least. But I will say this. I think that the overarching point, if we could just draw an overarching lesson out of all of this, here's what I would suggest the lesson is that Jesus is teaching that the Sabbath had become something it was never meant to be. It had become a legalistic set of rules and traditions that were not only hard to keep, but, and listen to this, but they had essentially made God out to be a pharaoh. They had made God out to be someone who would rather you starve on the Sabbath than you eat. They had made God out to be someone who you just stay sick rather than be healed because it was a Sabbath day. Sabbath had no longer, or it was no longer good news for the people. It was so bound up in stuff. It was, no long, it was something more to be like, we got to tiptoe around this thing because it's the Lord's day. The Pharisees in this story, I think, illustrate for us a group of people who had gotten so caught up in what to do, what not to do, 
that they had forgotten the whole reason Sabbath was instituted in the first place, lost sight of the big picture. And Jesus shows up, and he begins to live in a way, not just teach, but just flat out live in a way that not only represented his father, but also showed what Sabbath was meant to be. And it was always, always, always meant to be kindness, a kindness from the Lord, a good gift to his people, a means of grace to his people. It had never, it was never meant to be an unbearable yoke of laws, of do's and don'ts, um, which is really interesting because Matthew 11, last week, uh, when angels um, taught on that, I, I don't know if you noticed this, but the very last part of Matthew 11, right before Jesus starts teaching on this, the very last thing that Jesus says is, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then he goes into this teaching about Sabbath. And I want to suggest to you that the part of this, and there's no accidents, we know that in scripture, but I think that part of this is that Jesus is illustrating for, him, for them, the yoke that you're carrying now isn't easy or light. <laughs> He's just told them, my burden is easy and light. So he comes along, he teaches them about Sabbath, and he, for the Pharisees anyway, I think he's doing them a, a kindness and like attempting to make sense of it for them. He uses stories that they would have understood about David and, and the priest in the temple. And he's, re, he's attempting to reorient their framework for what it is, but unfortunately they do not have the ears to hear because we know they've gone off to plot to kill him. But I hope this morning that we do, that we have the ears to hear. So I think this text has two, at least two, maybe more, implications for us. So here are the just two thoughts that I have for us this morning, and here's the first one that we can learn from this story. It's that legalism doesn't lead to love. The Pharisees had made the rules and the law, the additional added law that they had kind of created, so high in their minds that they were missing Jesus for it. They were missing him. They were turning secondary issues into the main issue. And then essentially their legalism was just blinding them. It, it outweighed love. It outweighed sense even, because <laughs> some of the things they were doing just flat didn't make, didn't make sense. I'm, <laughs> last night, my husband had no idea what I was talking about today, and we were sitting down at dinner, and I said something, and he was like, oh, Alita, don't be legalistic. And I was like, that's so funny, because <laughs> I'm actually talking about that tomorrow, and also I'm not being legalistic. Um, <laughs> because here's the thing. I think that none of us would admit to being legalistic. Probably none of us are going to be like, yep, that's totally me. None of us do that. But if we're honest, there are probably things that all of us are at least a little bit legalistic about. Just, I don't even have examples to think of. But if you just, because that's kind of a hard one to think through. And you don't really know until you kind of come up against something and you're like, oh, ooh. Like you just kind of feel it inside of you. And so I was asking myself this question this week, like, Lord, would you show me the areas in my life where I have missed you because I think that you think like me in all the ways? Would you, like, I don't want to be a Pharisee. Does that, I don't know if that lands with you, but that's what I kept finding myself praying this week. I don't want to be a Pharisee. 
I don't want to think like that. I know that you are different than I think you are, that you are better than I think you are, Lord. And so I I I don't want legalism to win out in me. Would love win out in me? Let me err towards love. So that's the first implication. Legalism doesn't lead to love. And here's the second one. It's that Sabbath is a gift to us. This, is, this could be a whole entire sermon on a Sunday. I had to really pare it down. I came this summer and did like a little outside. It was really hot. How, how the weather has changed. Yeah, you were there. You know. It was really hot. We found a spot of shade in the corner. It was lovely. But I got to talk about Sabbath um, that night and how much, ooh, how much I, I, it's really changed my life over the last few years as I have in my own walk with the Lord begun to just... Um, rediscover it in, in my walk and, and with my family. So I just a few comments on this before we close. Sabbath is a gift to us. It was always meant to be a gift for us. Now because of Jesus, because of his life, his death, and his resurrection, we know that we're not commanded to keep the law, that we, we are not um, bound to, to the law in the same way as ancient Israel. We know that. But I do want to recall to your mind one of the things that we learned today, which was that well before the law, there was Genesis, and there was the garden, where this was just the natural rhythm that God instituted. And the rest that he had in mind for us was not meant to be this oppressive thing, where we're angry that we're having to take a day off. I don't know if any of you are parents in the room. You know, you get to that weird place and you're, where you tell your two-year-old to take a nap and they're so mad about it. And as the parent, you're like, I wish somebody would tell me to take a nap. That's, I mean, you know, this is kind of why sometimes we talk about Sabbath. We're like, I just can't do it. And I'm kind of, I'm just kind of offended that somebody would tell me I need to like just take some time because I've got things to do. I need to grocery shop. If I have a day off, you're lucky because I am doing laundry. I am doing, I've got to go to Costco. Like that's my day off. Like who gets to have a full 24 hours? So I get it. There's so many, um, it's the idea of Sabbath is so countercultural to, to, to our, our world today. I get it. Um, but I just want to, the suggestion I want to make to you is that what Genesis shows us is that even though it's, it may not be law for us, it's just a really wise way of living. It's a gift for us to, to stop working for a while, even if it's not for a full 24-hour period, and just rest. Um, another book suggestion for you, or not book suggestion for you, but a quote from a book called Subversive Sabbath. Um, it's by a guy named A.J. Swoboda. This is one of my favorite books on Sabbath, and it's this, here's the quote. He says this, we just do not know how to sit with God anymore. We have Sabbath amnesia, and the result of our Sabbath amnesia is that we have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. So part of having a weekly Sabbath, whatever that looks like for you, I started small. It was like a couple hours in the afternoon. But I think part of it is that we just have to learn. We have to learn, relearn how to sit with God. And so four things I would suggest to you that we do on Sabbath, and worship team, you guys can, can come on up now as we begin to close. But here are the four things. They're on the screen for you, but stop. It's kind of a funny one, but you have to stop to start. <laughs> stop. We rest. 
which I think is easier said than done sometimes. Worship. Sabbath is always, I mean, it's for us, but it's not about us. It's, it's meant to be eyes up, eyes up. And delight, delight. Do your favorite things. I, heard, I saw somebody talk about it, and they were like, man, it's like I get, I get a Christmas day once a week. That's the way they saw it. It's like I do all my, I eat my favorite foods. I'm around my favorite people. It's just the best day. A few practical things with Sabbath. Start small. It will feel weird at first if you have not done this, if you have not made it a regular part of your life. It will feel like I just have, you will think of everything. All of a sudden, the things that you've been putting off for 10 years, you're like, I have to do that today. Like, I have to do that right now. This is, but I really do believe, so just start small and, and you'll and stick to it. You'll get the hang of it. It's something that, that we train for. It's not something that we just naturally take up in an instant. But I do believe fundamentally that what God invites us into is, is the difference between working for rest, like, you know, where we work and exhaust ourselves because I go, that vacation's coming, that two weeks, once a year. The difference in the rest that God has for us is, is, is working for rest and working from a place of rest. And who does not want that? Oh, man, I do. So Sabbath is a gift to us if we will receive it. And we don't have to be legalistic about it. Just enjoy it.